missed any of the previous podcasts, just go to thelegendariumpodcast.com where you'll find each episode in order. Also, go find us on Facebook and subscribe on iTunes and we'll keep you up to date with future news and topics. Welcome to the Legendarium. Today, Craig and I discuss Book 6, Chapters 4 through 9, wrapping up our Lord of the Rings series, along with Larry D. Curtis from the OneRing.net, in an episode entitled, The Long Journey Home. Ryan. Yes? It's the last one. Yeah. <laughs> you don't sound excited. It's, uh, I'm portraying the weary... Frodo, Weary Sam at the end of their journey. No, we're done with that. We're to happy Frodo and happy Sam now. Well, yes. Almost. <laughs> well, okay, fine. Almost. Uh, if you include all of chapter four, I guess there's a little bit. Um, hey, Ryan, by the way, before we get started, did you know, uh, speaking of the voice you just heard, did you know there's a litmus test for like awesomeness in Tolkien podcasts? No, I did not yeah, know that. If you if you want to consider yourself awesome, you have to get someone from the OneRing.net on. So I I think we're we're finally awesome. Sweet. It took us till the last Tolkien episode that we did, uh, but we have Larry D. Curtis with us. Larry, introduce yourself. I think you just did. I'm Larry D. <laughs> Curtis. Um, I have a long association with the OneRing.net. Um, I'm known as Mister Sare there, but. Uh, I think it's a terrible name. I chose poorly twelve you have years ago. Yeah. Poorly. Yes. So Larry. And uh <laughs> yes, the wondering is awesome and happy to be a part of your podcast. Yeah, we're very, very excited to have you here. Uh Larry, if if you have followed the podcast, you remember Larry from our Fantasy Con preview. Uh Larry's heavily involved with Fantasy Con here in Salt Lake City, uh and has kindly consented to come uh, help us finish out our kind of book club treatment of the lord of the rings yeah, it's taking some time away from being a con i was going to say con artist but that's a <laughs> that's a really bad choice that's like, great that's fantastic i'm going to use that a lot copyrighted 2014 the legendary uh well excellent uh larry welcome uh how do you guys uh what do you guys say to a bit of trivia kick things off i'm ready i'm throwing down my gauntlet so it's the final we're doing the final episode here uh it's chapters four through nine of book six so this is uh, from when the ring is finally destroyed and gandalf goes and picks up frodo and sam with gwai here with lord so you know that's not a trivia question um all the way until uh frodo and co until you get to the point in the book when you realize there's still hundreds of pages left but you're actually done with the story (laughs) we all hate you that was an awkward moment for me as i hit the end oh there's still like 115 pages for me to read (laughs) but those are appendix. but yeah but uh, oh i see what you're saying yeah uh i'll get to that in just a second so yeah we'll that's the section we'll be covering i've got 10 trivia questions for you guys uh, what I'll do is I'll, I'll shout out the trivia question. Whoever's hand I see first without destroying their microphone, that's the person that I will call on to answer the question. Uh, and uh, may, the, may the best nerd win. I am truly terrified. Yeah, I'm <laughs> sure you are. I, I do uh, strike an imposing figure when it comes to trivia. <laughs> it's the glasses. Uh, number one, Frodo and Sam wake up in what country? In what area? Good heavens, people. 
Uh, I'm going to just seconds. throw out a no. That's not right. Um, in Gondor, yes, Minas Tirith, <laughs> third level of it's the fourth. Italian. Oh, see, <laughs> trust my instincts. I'm totally going to say that. I'm like, there's no way that's the right answer. <laughs> it was a poorly worded question. How about this one? What day is declared as the new year in Gondor? Wednesday. I'll give you a hint. It's March the 25th. <laughs> that uh, one I didn't on. know. I was. Dead oh, we can wrong. come back to that one too. That that date has some significance. Uh, who is it that actually crowns Aragorn king? Um, Gandalf. I didn't see a hand, but I'm giving it to you anyway. Uh, yes, it's it radio. Gandalf. Here's my hand. <laughs> Listen to my hand going up. We'll pretend. Uh, number four, Baragond. You remember Baragond, uh, the tower guard? Uh, he must face justice for leaving his post during the battle and for spilling blood in the houses of the dead. How does Aragorn punish him? I believe he pardoned. Oh. Yeah. That's my hand. Hand up. There goes the hand. <laughs> I made the best rules for this game. Aragorn wants to be forgiving, if I recall. And, That's true. And wants, you know, peace. It's time for peace. So he uh, he makes him Faramir's captain. Uh, he's the captain of the White Company of uh, the Guard of Faramir. Number five, Aragorn and Gandalf climb up a mountain after the coronation and they find what? The new white tree. Yes, that's true. It's a scion of Telperion, the eldest of trees. Hmm. Yes, I knew you knew that, Ryan. Just don't <laughs> don't pretend. Uh, number six, as the company works its way to Rivendell, uh, on their way back to the Shire, they meet who? Looking like a beggar. Uh, Saruman. Correct. What are you guys, two and two? Something like that. Uh, number seven, when they get to Bree, what is it about the hobbits that kind of puts off the Bree folk? Trust your instincts. Yeah, Go with so it. Yeah, it's, so I mean, it's their confidence and their, their power. They've come into themselves, and the Bree folk are... I, I accept that. It is as represented by their armor. That's what mm. they cite. They, mm. they look a bit odd in their armor. But yeah. Oh, yeah that was a weak answer. Oh, I'll take it. Uh... Let's see, number eight. It turns out that all of the weed from the South Farthing was going where for the past year or so? It was going to Saruman. Yes, to Isengard. Saruman I gotta trust myself. Taking... I gotta trust myself. I was, all right. I was going there. That's the same with almost every answer. I'm like, no, no, that can't be it. There's <laughs> going to be nine. some trick. Number nine, who is Sharky? He is Saruman. Yes. Yeah, all right. Uh, what do we call the harbor from which the elven ships set sail? This is another one where I'm like, oh yeah, I know that. And then, well then, what is it? Hmm. It's, uh, Kirdan is the shipwright who lives at the Grey Havens. Havens. Uh, I'll give it to you. Uh, bonus point, because you're probably somewhere around Tide. I keep really good track. I mean, why start now? I never did before. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, bonus question. You're never going to get this. Where do Celeborn and Galadriel take their leave of the company as they're traveling north? In what country? In what country? In what, uh, yeah, region. Um, if you don't know it, you're not going to get it. I definitely it. don't know that one. Well, I'm going to say Middle Earth, Latitude 34. <laughs> it's <and> in <laughs> Dunland. Dunland, just west of the Misty Mountains. Oh. So, do you remember the, the Red Horn Gate that the, the company got snowed out on? Uh, well, it's summertime now, so Celeborn and Gladriel and company can 
finally go over that. So they take that road, and that's how they get to Lothlorien. So, hmm. congratulations to them. Well, man, I am so disappointed in you guys. Yeah. So disappointed. <sighs> I didn't do my homework very well. <laughs> I forgive you. I hang my head in shame for a final time. So, Ryan, why don't you kick us off? Uh, let's let's get started talking about this. You've already complained at least twice about uh, this section of the book. Why don't you tell us uh, what your complaint is? Well, let me start by saying, although, yes, I, I have some complaints, it is not a complaint about the story. It is not a complaint about... Any um, about the storytelling that is going on here either. Um, it's just one of those things that the, the biggest issue that I had was, hey, we we end this story like four or five times in this process. You know, at any you could end it at any certain point, but when you finally do actually get to the end, and it's the most fitting of all the right. ends there. So you're talking about the the page when Sam comes back from the harbor, not like the end of the appendices or anything. No, no, no. Okay. I, I haven't touched the appendices. Good. Um, but no, when when Sam comes back, it's like okay, yeah, this feels like a, this feels like considering everything else that we just went through, um, it's it's the most fitting end. But I will say this: probably my favorite part in the series occurred in this book, in this section right here. The scouring of the shire. That is correct. The scouring of the shire. That is the payoff for me for watching these guys go through so much. It was the opportunity to see see them kind of come into their own. Yes. Yeah. I you know I really like. uh, We'll come back to the scouring, I think, but I, I like this idea of the long ending because if I read a 400 page novel. Uh, it's going to take several pages to wrap up. You know, they you reach the climax and, and everything is kind of resolved, and then you you wrap things up for a few pages and uh, the action dies down. So, in a four hundred page novel, you might do that for five to ten pages, right? Well, now you have a thousand page novel, and I mean, it's and you, you take if you take four hundred pages now, like Harry Potter, big print. Huge margins. If the Lord of the Rings did that, it would be 2,000 pages, right? So I feel like it's appropriately long as a wind-down from the very end. Because you've just had this huge, long story, a a giant climax, and now you've got to have some time for that uh, denouement. I would buy that if you actually were... If the climax of destroying the ring was the actual... I mean, that is the big moment in the story. Mm-hmm. But the fact is, they continue to go through, I mean, the scouring of the Shire, they continue to have these moments along there that are not wrap-up moments. They're right. payoff moments. Right. They're not that. So I would challenge that thought a little bit with that, but I don't know. Larry, what do you think? I find it to be um, a beautiful ending, and I don't mind at all. I, I actually think people don't want to step away from the books. Um, it, not your typical reader, but Evangeline Lilly. Loves these books. She mm-hmm. would do worse than we did at Trivia, incidentally. <laughs> but she she's never read the last 30 or so pages. She just refuses. She just um, said, I'm never reading those and, and won't because she doesn't want the story to end. And I feel like it would be painful to stop sooner. I think, I think uh, the yeah. reader needs a longer time of release, even if it isn't traditional. It definitely isn't traditional storytelling. Um, organization of the story but uh i think it's appropriate and it lets you kind of wind down and 
Yeah, I agree. Well, and I agree with what she says in spirit then. Um, but in practice, I think one of the one of the strengths of this ending is that it, it really illustrates well that there are no endings to the real stories, right? Mm. Sam comes home and he says, well, I'm back. And you know that so much more is going to happen because we got to the end of the story and like you said, Ryan, it, ending after ending after ending. There, we got to the end of the story, but then there's a journey back and then there's the scouring of the Shire and then there's the Grey Havens. There's just, there keeps... There keeps being story, you know. We keep having it come yeah, at us, and so and, and so. If he had kept writing, it would have just kept going. He, it's like he arbitrarily cut it off somewhere. I I know this is not a, a conversation about adaptation of film. Sure, it uh, is. Well, <laughs> it is now. Okay, so uh, I find it so interesting how Peter Jackson follows Tolkien's very non-traditional ending formula by having ending after ending after ending and. I also find remarkable how often he quotes Tolkien directly, exactly. Through the um, ending. Yeah, I feel like he trusted the story, uh, definitely this part of the ending. He actually trusted the story, which I find he has not done. Like in The Hobbit, for example, he hasn't trusted the story much at all. And here he just lets Tolkien, he just did the film the way the books are. I find right. that fascinating. With the exception of the scouring. Yes, and actually that's a really key omission. And I, and I feel deprived after reading this again. I was like, oh, yeah, that really was absent because of what you said you liked. It lets the characters come into their own. It really shows how they've changed. And um, it's a much less – I see why he killed Saruman when he did, but it's a much less glorious ending and um, shows how diminished he is by the end, which is really interesting as well. Oh yeah, I I love the death of Saruman. Um, so do we want to talk about the scouring now, or do we want to get up to it from the other endings that Ryan loves so much? We can we can work our way up, but we just have to be aware that <laughs> when we get to the scouring, that's where I'm going to get to really like I'm going to geek out a bit because I I enjoyed it so much. Well, let, let, so let me ask you this then: if we're going back a little bit in page count, um at the end or sorry the beginning of chapter five i think it was uh after the field of cormalin uh the hobbits are given their honors by king aragorn and uh and then the beginning of the next chapter after you've had this huge emotional release then you go back in time again before the ring was destroyed and you talk about faramir and eowyn Mm -hmm. and this always it throws me a little bit um it it always lasts longer in my memory than it does on the page. And I, you know, so when I read it, it's not that big a deal. It only lasts a couple pages. But, but my memory makes it longer, I think, because it's so jarring. You know, we're used to Tolkien by now jumping around a little bit in timelines. And, yeah. you know, I get that. But at this point, it just feels like, oh man, do we have to go back in time again once you've crossed the threshold it's it is very odd once you've crossed the threshold and had that major climax moment in any in any story really to go back before that uh, and have to do that it is jarring is weird but it's one of the things about this ending that i think is interesting is the fact that everyone gets i mean pretty much other than boromir and Gollum. Pretty much every main character gets a semi-happy ending, at least. Right. And so we had Faramir and we have Eowyn in there who have played enough of a role. Now, 
why why is this story, this romance that blossoms between them necessary? Why is it necessary to the story there? The only thing I can come up with is so that our heroes get the happy ending. Yeah. Because they both deserved they both deserved more than to just be forgotten. Like, you know, to wonder what happened to them. They deserve more than that, but how much more? Yeah. Well, you know, Eowyn, being the only female character outside of Galadriel, who's, you know, a bit beyond our scope of understanding as mortal beings, right? Eowyn being the only the only female character that's really treated um, thoroughly, I guess uh, I guess I could see something where she would deserve to be given a, a full uh, a full treatment of of her character cycle, right? Mm-hmm. And so now it's uh, you have this this part where she falls in love with Fe- uh, Faramir Feowen. <laughs> is that a new? <laughs> is this the new uh, nice thing? Um, and uh, and she kind of renounces her uh, shield maiden ways, her mm-hmm. warrior like ways. So, I mean, you got to give her some some kind of ending, like you said. It's just it's an odd place to put it. That's all. Yeah, but where else? I mean, where else would you slide that in? Yeah. I don't know. Other thoughts? It, it is easy to see. Like you could probably take it out, and you'd still have a book. Um, sure. You could take out a lot of stuff. Yes, you could. This this you could remove completely, and and if you never knew it was there, you'd never miss it. But I do enjoy the richness of um, these tying off the loose ends a bit, and uh, I'm not. I have no desire to ascribe motives to Tolkien, but I do wonder if he wanted to say that there's a theme that these people who thought all was lost actually all wasn't lost and they still had a different um satisfaction not what they anticipated or wanted but they but look it turns out things were okay and um different but okay so i wonder if that's tolkien wanted to say that i wonder if he had something to say about that yeah. probably not he just probably took care of his characters <laughs> <laughs> um well, okay, so let's back up a little bit more because there's another thing that I want to bring up. And actually, Larry, you you inspired me to go back and read a book. Uh, do you remember the FantasyCon uh, press conference when you held up a copy of Author of the Century? Yes, I got so excited. Yeah, that's it's been one of my favorite books since I was about 18 years old. Um, and uh, so I promised myself when we started this Lord of the Rings series that I wouldn't read any of that stuff. The, the critical treatments of mm. The Lord of the Rings because, you know, I wanted to be fresh. But uh, it took us a while to get to to this point uh, and record this podcast, and I got a little antsy. So I went back and read that. And uh, there's a concept that he brings up that, that Tolkien actually brought up in his essay on fairy stories, and, and Tom Shippey does a great treatment of it, and it's uh, the concept, concept of eucatastrophe. Mm. Um, and it's... it's uh, Something that I'm really glad that he gave me a name for, because it's something that I, I think we've all felt, especially if you uh, if you love fantasy and you love fairy tales. Um, it's something that you recognize even if you don't have a name for it, and it's that idea of the sudden turning from disaster to uh, to glory or whatever you want to call it. I don't know how better to describe it, but uh, where Tom Shippey places the U catastrophe is on the field of Cormalin, which I think is an interesting choice. Hmm. Uh, so he says that the the U, the U catastrophe, when things finally have turned from the dark to the light, is when the hobbits are being honored by 
uh, the the men on the field of Cormallen. And I, and I gotta admit, he's got a point. Yeah. Because even if I can't necessarily explain in in uh, some academic way why that fits, I know that it fits because of the feeling that I get when I read that part. And it was one of those things in again comparing to the films that Peter Jackson nailed. Even if he switched the location mm-hmm. and uh, and a few of the words, he nailed that feeling when the hobbits are there at the coronation and Aragorn comes and kneels before them and everybody else does. And you just, I mean, I can't watch that part of the movie without weeping like a little girl. Um, and the same thing happens to me in the book. Uh, it just, it really gets me. It's this yeah. idea of you're, you're in the middle of this story and the way, it, maybe Larry, you remember better than I do, but the way that Tolkien describes it is you rip the story, or you rip the fabric of story and you peer through to the truth beyond Mm. so it takes you it you can talk about being taken out of the story as a bad thing but i think he would describe it as bringing you through the story to the truth on the other side um yes i agree with that and the uh, there's just a little footnote i wanted to make i i actually have lots of problems with return of the king film um there's portions that really bother me and Sam and Frodo's relationship is one of those. There's mm-hmm. just some major problems. And I, I don't... Parts of the battle are amazing and parts of them it are ridiculous. But what you said is why the film resonates so much and people love the film. It's those moments that Jackson captured what Tolkien did. Like people kneeling before the hobbits and, you know, my friends, you know for no one. Like that line just oh, yanks yeah. tears out. It reaches into their tear ducts and pulls out moisture so it's um thanks vigo yeah 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 he's he's all right they're lucky they got him by the way <laughs> uh, the truth yeah so so yeah there's some real resonant moments and um jackson tried to mirror tolkien and pretty successfully but it's the same for me in the book when i read some of those it's like wow this these words on pages have devastated me they've destroyed my heart they they definitely do for me i you know i was uh, i finished this this section about a week ago i uh, took the book with me to work and i was taking some notes and i went out on this park bench um, during my lunch hour and read the final chapters and it was over i think two days but uh but yeah he he like you say he reaches in and he pulls something out of you emotionally and then the book ends and i you know this doesn't necessarily have to do with the field of cormolan it's more about the end of the book but i just like i sat there on this park bench in my suit and tie uh eating my lunch and i'm crying because i got to the end of this book and i'm just sad that it's that it's over and it's such an emotional ending i don't Mm. know i i love having those tears pulled out of me yeah it's very satisfying yeah indeed Ryan, did you did you have when you got to the end? Did you, like, and Sam came home. The end. Did you have any special feelings? Like, did you feel a sense of accomplishment? Did you feel emotional? Did you feel anything at all? Or are you a robot? I am not a robot, but but a cyborg. I did not have I did not have any majorly strong emotional feeling when I got to the end of it. It was. It was an appreciation for what I had just read and for what what I had just experienced and gone through. And I had a lot of those those moments with, you know with with the hobbits and on on the field uh, Cormallan and 
all those moments, they were nice, and I went through that, and, and I really enjoyed them. But when I finished it, I have you to admit, I, I did not have any major major emotional a, a moment you didn't have a moment draw to come or a rush to go back and start again <laughs> i do really like this story and i will read it again in the future yeah uh but this I, story I, this story is uh, it's emotionally exhausting um for me and and for that reason like you say when i get to the end i don't want to rush back and start it again like i'm i'm done for a while i'll come back later but i'll tell you one uh, one big difference and this is off on a tangent but the silmarillion and Ryan, someday I'm going to make you read it. <laughs> but that one I read when I was, uh, I think I was 17 when I read that. It took me three months, longer than it ever took me to read The Lord of the Rings, uh, except for this one, <laughs> incidentally. Uh, but it took me three months to read these, like, 350 pages. And I got to the end, and uh, it wasn't as emotional a journey, but it sure was intellectually stimulating. And at the end, I had no idea what I had just read. I only knew how awesome it was. And so I immediately, I got to the end, and I turned to page one, and I started again. Because so it was that good. I want to I wanna throw out a little piece here, because uh, I said I said that I didn't have any major emotional thing, emotional moment when I finished the book. However, I'm, I'm not really supposed to reveal this yet to you, but... Huh? Um, You're pregnant. Yeah. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> Congratulations. No, my wife has picked up and started reading to our son <gasps> no. at night. Wow, how old is your son? He is four months old. <laughs> is he Einstein? He's getting a lot out of this. Well, he's developing really fast, and if this has anything to do with it, you know, great. But no, she's, she's been more reading. For, more for her than him. Yeah, she's been reading it out loud to him every night, and she's, um, right now, uh, she is in Rivendell. Wow, she's yeah. making this progress. She's in Rivendell, hmm. and she already remembers parts of the story a lot better than I do. She, <laughs> she, I play back some of our podcasts, and she answers the trivia faster and nice. more correct than I do. Yeah, and that got me excited. I was really, actually, quite excited that she was going on this journey that she mm-hmm. was about to start out. So for me, that was more of a moment for me than finishing the book was to see someone else starting it. Yeah. Oh man, I really get that. Did you, uh, Larry? You were in San Diego uh, for Comic Con this year. Did you s- happen to catch uh, Stephen Colbert's little speech? I did. Um, I have lots to say about Stephen Colbert and his speech. <laughs> well, one of the things that he mentioned was uh, that one of the joys of the Lord of the Rings, and this is absolutely true for me, is the the joy of someone else coming to you and saying, "Hey, you're a Tolkien guy." Can you explain this? Oh, it's like it's like letting the Jehovah's Witnesses in your door. There is nothing sweeter, you know, for for me to than to have somebody come to me and say, "Hey, will you explain, you know, this thing that's that's been earth shattering in your life and that you know everything about?" You know, um, there yeah, there is something about watching somebody else go on that journey, and that's been for me one of the most rewarding parts about doing this podcast. Was knowing, you know, you're a huge nerd about so many things, but you'd never read this book. I couldn't believe it. And I was just so excited to watch you, you know, go through it and, and hear what you had to say. If you read it again, it'll be a much richer experience the second time, I think. Um, I will confess that I have not read it in its entirety, the book, for a very long time. And I'm not sure that I will anytime soon. Um, I tend to read parts all the time. Mm-hmm. But um, I start to finish i may have to consider that it just doesn't 
seem like the right time. But um, the reading to my kids, though, sounds pretty smart, although they're not as captive an audience as a four-month-old. So, <laughs> How old are your kids? Oh, 12 and 10 and 3. Oh, Hobbit age. Well, yeah, we we did read The Hobbit, actually. I did oh, yeah. read that to them before I let them go to the films. So that was uh, well done. And many topics, so I'm catching up. But before you would ever dream of reading The Silmarillion, you'd give the appendices a good crack. And mm-hmm. it's sort of in the same style, but much more accessible. And there's mm-hmm. parts of the appendices that are like pure genealogy, which are very much like reading yeah, Genesis or Exodus in the Bible. But actually, not even as interesting as genesis <laughs> but there's parts of the appendices that are fantastic and um and then there's lost tales which i think unfinished tales is what i actually mean but i would before you tackle the silmarillion there's little pieces of other things yeah. that i would definitely recommend and there was a time when tolkien was popular in the 60s especially when he started to explode in the americas and the hippie culture and all things there was no such thing as the Silmarillion, if you can imagine that. And all they had to go on was those appendices. Yeah, and no one, no one wanted to publish it. It was just not nobody was interested at all. And it's what Tolkien most wanted to put in print, and nobody had that. So we live in a time. We've even in our lifetime, in the lifetime of your podcast, there's been new Tolkien publications, mm-hmm. which is crazy. He's yeah. been dead thirty years, but there's always more. It's. Uh, I, I would hate to see the inside of that guy's study. It would freak me out. Can you imagine Papers the day, I, I, I was born, you guys weren't even born, but the day that they announced or that the Silmarillion was published, and there were definitely, or would be published, there definitely was a Tolkien fandom, it was different, they survived on, uh, I don't even know what they're called now, those newsletters they would like mail like around, fanzines. Would, yeah, fanzine, that's it, that's exactly, that's that was the Wondering.net of its day, yeah. or the Legendarium podcast of its day, and so that people were like, what? There's going to be this Tolkien book? And, and eventually they got Silmarillion. And that is just mind-blowing to me. I can't even remember what we were talking about three minutes ago. Well, I think it's kind of fun. <laughs> we actually, I've been having a lot of a lot of discussions with my wife that they're, and I, I don't want to disparage the movies, but there's a bit of a, a taint on on uh, reading the book when you've got the movies there. because you have the images there that you're kind of held hostage by. Yeah, well, she asked me, she asked me uh, two questions that she's brought up to me recently that had me kind of stop and go, wait a minute. I hadn't really thought of that. The first thing that she's like, do they ever call Sam Samwise? I'm like, yes, they do. I had to actually look up. They don't call him Samwise until the two towers. But she's like, this is mm. stupid. His name, they all they ever do is call him Samwise. It's Samwise, you know, because she knew in the movies that they called him Samwise. Oh, yeah, okay. So she never got to get to that moment or whatever. The other thing... Um, was the story of Arwen and Aragorn? Oh yes, uh, yes. It's in the apparently it's in the appendix. Oh yeah, and but, it's gorgeous. But very short. The whole time she's like, you know, who is this? I know who the you know she's playing like a Lord of the Rings, and so she's got <laughs> she's got the character. The here world's and, greatest introduction to Tolkien. It actually is quite. It's, I, uh, when I I'm sorry when I saw her playing as Saruman running around uh, Osgiliath. <laughs> I had a, a little That's bit of free a, play. a you go through the, You go through the story first. You have to play with the correct characters first. <laughs> then you go back and do free play where you can be anybody. It's nice. great. Okay. Um, but it was it was the fact that she was like, I know Arwen is a character. I know there's a love story in the movie, mm-hmm. but we're here. I have no idea when this is going to come up. Why is it not come up? She didn't save Frodo. Yeah, there's, there's all this stuff in the appendices, but I, I have to throw out a caution. And this is coming from somebody who's very emotional about the Lord of the Rings. And so, you know, if you're not, then maybe you can throw this out. But 
I made the mistake this time, uh, which I, I did not do before on my previous dozen readings or so, but I, I got to the end and Sam came home at the end, and then I turned the page and started reading. Mm. Please, if, you are, if you're within the sound of my voice and you get to the end, give it a day. Give it a week. Then go read the appendices. Please let this story sink in before you start the appendices, because they are very different in tone. It's taking you all over the place in terms of geography and, uh, and chronology, and it's very, very jarring. And uh, so, yeah, I, I agree with Larry. You've got to read the appendices, especially if we ever plan on tackling the Silmarillion. But uh, now that you've been finished with the book for a while, now would be a good time to start. Yeah. And the fun part is you can skip. If there's a part that you don't love, you can just go to a different part. And you're, oh, not, yeah. you're not, you know. It's there's no a, plot that's right. being... You haven't, right, you haven't missed the clue about who murdered whom. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, The... I, I like the tale of Aragorn and Arwen, but my favorite part uh, has got to be a tie between the tale of Numenor and uh, the dwarves. I, I'm all in on the dwarves. The I mean, dwarves have the coolest story. That's why the dwarf backstory in the Hobbit movies annoys me to no end, which is another podcast it's, entirely, it's... but it's, <laughs> it's a ruined version. Yep, yeah. Please don't uh, take that as gospel. Um, all right, well, good. Uh, you guys, I've got a few more things I want to bring up, but uh, anything you guys want to talk about? Points you want to bring up? Well, I I don't know what your next points are, but we, I, I'm going to hold firm. We need to get back to the scouring of the Shire okay. at some yeah, point. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, so what are we in, like 40 minutes in? Yeah, you go ahead. Okay. The scouring of the Shire, or as I, as I like to, uh, as I came to really be, feel it, uh, the reason you read everything else. <laughs> okay. Wow. Um, <laughs> I absolutely love this section. If nothing else, it maybe it just resonates with me and, you know, who I am and how I grew up or whatever. But it was so nice to have part of this wrap up of this great story be these characters being allowed to showcase what they have learned in a situation that wasn't the climax, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Most of the time in movies, things like that, these characters develop skills and everything as they're going along, and then you get to the... And then they go fight the boss character. They fight the boss character, they finish up, and then they go home and everyone's happy. It was nice to see that after all this was done, they got to go and say, okay, training wheels, they've been off for a while, but Gandalf is gone, it's just us, and it's time to go back and see, you know see what's going on at home, and when they realize that something's going wrong at home, rather than running back and getting... Because they could have gone back and gotten Aragorn or... They knew where Gandalf was. You know, they could have done that, but they didn't. They said, no, it's our home, our responsibility, we've learned. And they get to go through and do this, and we get to see this total turn um, from when they leave the Shire to when they come home as these, these you know, soon-to-be heroes of the Shire. And we get to see the, the final fall of Saruman, who up to this point has been driving me crazy as to what, really, they just let him walk off? <laughs> really, you can't just let Saruman walk off. I remember you sent me a text message. I'm sitting at work. I've got a client at my desk, and I get this little text message. I glance down, and Ryan's like, what the F? <laughs> Why did they let Saruman walk away? Uh, I didn't yeah. get to t- text you back for a while. But, but that this whole section, from the way they go about it, 
from Frodo decide, you know, standing for after going through all this darkness, whatever, and you know, still saying no. There has been enough bloodshed. I don't want even the ruffians killed unless they're unless they're about to kill a hobbit. I don't want anyone else killed. I don't even want Saruman killed, and he just tried to stab me. You know, you see, you get to see each one of the four hobbits, the major trial that they went through, how it changed them. Frodo is still found mercy and pity and care about that. Sam is still. Be, he's now the, uh, a leader. He still cares for Frodo, but he's grown so much. And you have Merry and Pippin, who are now these these leaders, almost you know, war chiefs, if you will, as mm-hmm. they lead the hobbits and the the brief folk to helping free the land. It's it's just very to me that was the payoff. You know, yeah, the ring went in the fire. That's that's great. Yeah, Aragorn's king. That's great. You know, everything's going on. But this was the payoff for me was to see the hobbits come back. And take back their fan, you know, their home, and really showcase how they had changed. Yeah, that for me was the big payoff, and everything from that point on for me was what I call what I call qualified as the ending. You right, know, as writing it off. So. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, anything you want to bring up, Larry? Sure. There's a there's a couple of things. I I think it's fascinating how. I think I mentioned it before, but Saruman is diminished, and he's this once this man who threatened, who was on the verge of of overtaking Middle Earth and being its ruler or its co-ruler or at least enthralled to its ruler, is now next to nothing, and he's diminished. And then he's killed by his servant, his right hand man, who's even more diminished, and he he grabs him, uh, Wormtongue grabs him and slits his throat. And what an inglorious ending for this, you know, practically a god walking the earth and mm-hmm. and he just dies by a, you know a traitorous worm tongue i just find that fascinating and i definitely think it's tolkien having some commentary about the nature of evil that when its power is stripped away there's really not much there there's really mm-hmm. nothing uh, it's fascinating and i also think his death i might even have to read a sentence or two but Tolkien, well, I won't read. Tolkien talks about how his body and death looks diminished and small and um, old, as if the death had been there all the time, but it finally is revealed. That sentence, that little paragraph, has been used in fantasy film and literature since over and over and over and over. It's like Tolkien just created the template for how to have a bad guy die. Oh, yeah. He, did that. he, he created a lot of templates, didn't he? And, and, uh, there's another thing about the way Saruman dies that I love. Do you remember, Ryan, in our conversation with Nick a couple episodes ago, uh, he asked a question about wind, because wind had started to play a role in bringing the, the black ships up, you know, and the, the river. like a sigh. Right. So now, now I have an answer to his question, and that's that, yes, wind plays a huge role. I couldn't remember where I had read all of it, and it, it turns out that, yeah, it's just a little bit later in the book. This section... Um, we saw a lot of it during the the field, uh, or, uh, during the battle on the field of Pelennor, uh, but now it's uh, it, it's happening all the time. So when Sauron is overthrown, the ring goes in the fire, the volcano erupts, and I think it's the the cloud of ash that we that maybe that hand of Sauron that's reaching yeah. out and trying to grab them. That you know they're looking up and they see this hand of Sauron, and then the wind comes and blows it away. Um, and then same thing with Saruman. He dies. There's this gray kind of ghostly mist that comes up out of the ground. And then one of the things I love the most is not is that it doesn't just dissipate right away, 
but he looks to the west. He looks to his home, the place where he came from, the the gods that gave him the mission that he failed to to complete, and then knowing that there's no place for him there, he disappears. Um, just wonderful, wonderful, wonderful imagery, um, and the wind. It, that's those aren't the only places that it comes into play, uh, but but two of my favorites. Were I able to sit down and have a chat with Professor Tolkien, I would ask him about that because it's, it's that, very distinctive. Like after what, you mop up the urine on the floor from wet in your pants. <laughs> well, that too. Me. Yeah, that'd be a pretty good celebrity sighting. <laughs> uh, good autograph. Um, yeah, I'd like to know what... It works wonderfully emotionally, and I would like to know what he... Is a religious guy and that doesn't exactly have you know that's that's not a biblical thing so it's not a Catholic thing I'd like to know what he was thinking as the he idea did that. of a of a soul dissipating yeah but dissipating on the wind and and how evil is um, impotent at the very end it's so right. impotent that even the gust of wind takes it away um, it's fascinating and he definitely as you pointed out he did this repeatedly it's not accidental he definitely did it more than once mm-hmm. over and over in very similar ways. And, you know, I read a comment online uh, recently that just infuriated me, and it was somebody who had said, I think they were writing for, like, Sparknotes or one of those uh, kind of hokey websites. Um, But they said, well, what this really represents is that Tolkien has told us all along that evil isn't, it's not really there. There's no real power behind it. And I just want to shake him and say, no, you're absolutely incorrect. The whole reason that this this war was fought is because evil was very real. It had a very real power, and it, it almost had that hand that Sauron was stretching out almost had a stranglehold on Middle Earth. And it's only in defeat. It's only when the when when the character's been defeated and he realizes that there's nothing there to pick up the pieces. There's no Valar, there's no God, there's no nothing to help out. He was on his own the whole time. That's when the power fades, and that's when um. Yeah, that's when everything is given up. Uh, anyway, I, I'm sorry that that comment. I just wanted to Agreed. hurl a rock through the internet. Yeah. So I anyway. hate it when people are wrong on the internet. <laughs> Luckily, it happens seldom enough yes, that uh, right. that I don't have to worry about my blood pressure too much. Um. Good. You guys have anything else that you want to bring up? In the entirety of the reading. In the entirety of this reading, yeah. Um. Probably. I, I've got I've got one more, but I'll save it. No, go ahead because I'll collect my thoughts. That's okay. perfect. All right. Well, this one is um, it comes from when they're on the 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 march. They have just buried Theoden. They're leaving Rohan, and now they're coming up the west side of the, of the Misty Mountains. And they spend a week camping before uh, Celeborn and Galadriel head off to Lothlorien. They spend a week uh, because you know they want to have some conversation with Gandalf. And Tolkien describes it uh, as they're they're kind of sitting on the ground talking to each other. And he says, but if you walked past, uh, if a normal person had walked past, they what would they have seen? They wouldn't have seen these three grand figures. They would have seen, um, you know, something carved out of stone. And they wouldn't have heard anything because they weren't talking with their mouths. They were communicating with their minds. Um, and it's he, he describes this very briefly, but I think this would be important to how he wanted us to think about myths and legends uh, and what he ultimately wanted the Lord of the Rings to do. And I don't think he thought that it ever would, 
but it has. And that's that's breathing some life back into the world that we know today. And so when you are when you're out in the mountains or you know heck if you're driving down the freeway and you see something that stirs your imagination there's that idea you know say you're walking along this path in the mountains and you see a very striking stone you know something that looks a little bit out of place what is that where did it come from what could it be well you know i wonder if it's an old you know elf king that sat there in thought and has never woken up uh, because he's still thinking, you know, or, you know, something like that. Something that lends a more mystical quality to your everyday life. That uh, that gives you a little breath of fresh air as you go on uh, and, and you leave this story and, and go on about your life. Perhaps it's entirely possible that I have climbed an elf king there. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, the same thing would be uh, true for me about trees. I, I liked trees fine. I mean, I didn't have a problem with them before The Lord of the Rings. But now that I've read it... And I've read the Ents and how they think about nature and how they, they get you to think about nature. It makes me look at trees differently. It makes me feel differently about them. And it I do get sad when a tree that's been around for 150 years uh, has gotten in the way of something and has to be cut down for, what, a parking lot or something. You know, so there are those those things that he's accomplished at least for me and I think for a lot of other people uh that uh like I said can can make every day a little bit more mystical and magical. Uh Mr. Tolkien, Professor Tolkien really was a remarkable. I mean, you think about a remarkable person he was in so many ways, but one of those ways that well before his time, well before there was a, a green movement or a hippie movement or a nature movement almost um he was a person who valued a tree in a unique way and in a powerful and he put a voice to that that resonated 70 years later or 50 years later it's pretty remarkable that he had that sort of different outlook on the world um unique not completely unique but but rare in his time yeah yeah because the world was uh, this was uh, the time of modernity when uh, urban sprawl had been happening for a generation or two and technical technological advancement was just a you know, roaring ahead and that's all that the world seemed to care about was finding the next big thing and and here's this guy who says yeah that's that's great to a certain extent but only if you take into account uh, the things that matter as well yeah pretty remarkable um do i get my turn please, now? please. so i the one of my favorite well, I just say that because I just read it and I just confessed I didn't read the whole thing. But um, <laughs> the, the words of Sam and Frodo to each other as Frodo's leaving for the Grey Havens, I find, are just a remarkable page of, of literature, really. It's when, how much time do we have? We're good. No, um, So, in, in effect, Frodo's dying. In effect, he's dead or, or just about to be dead and go to the Grey Havens. And, he, and Sam wants them to be together so those sentiments are familiar to all of us all of us feel that way whether it's uh, a loved one that dies or but rarely do we have the chance to speak to them like they did they get to know that this is happening and and frodo's sentiments are um you sam have a lot more life to live you have eleanor you have rosie you have all these things to do and you'll be a mayor and you'll, whatever it is you'll be the most famous gardener so he frodo has this great vision of what sam's supposed to do go live his life. And and the reason Frodo made his sacrifices were 
well, it was for Sam and it was for people. So he saved the Shire, but he didn't save it for himself. He saved it for others. And um, those are perfectly beautiful and applicable, even though I can't say it. I know what I mean. (laughs) Uh, Perfectly applicable um, sentiments that probably all of us would feel as we grow old and die. And we feel that about our children and about the people we leave behind that, you know, I did the best I could. and I did this for you. So you please go on and live your life and do the things and love your wife and your daughter, whatever it is you do, go do that. And I will go away. And it's just such a beautiful um, sentiment. And often, again, death doesn't, it's usually not so nicely done that we have a chance to have a conversation. But if we did, this is what we'd say. This is what parents would say to their children or what we'd say to our children. And I just find it a beautiful, beautiful page of writing and um, a great payoff. It's only two pages before the, you know, Sam's back home, um, which reinforces that, yes, he is going to go live his life. I just, it's just an amazing page. Agreed. I don't have anything to add to that. No, it's actually, there was, when I was going back and reviewing, when Frodo says to him, Sam, you were a ring bearer for a short time. Yes. So your time to come, you you could, he wasn't necessarily saying, I'm never going to see you again. And that's one thing that if, you know, with the kind of tone of this is death or whatever, it's the idea that this isn't the end and you've borne your burden you have more to go still, but you bore the burden of the ring for a while, so you're still going to get a chance. You know, you will you'll get a chance to come with me later. Yeah. But I I did think that was a very beautiful moment and had very similar thoughts in terms of, you know, in terms of dealing with death, um, dealing with these moments. I lied. I do have something to add. Well, I, let me jump in real quick, and then save, I will add. save that thought. So because if I don't say it, I'll lose it forever. Um. It, Tolkien's very subtle about his religion in these books. It's definitely not like anyone's sermon on religion, but here it seems they get very close. The idea of bearing the ring is very similar to bearing the cross, I think, for Christians. And it never says it outright, but I think the, the subtleties are less subtle, and it's, it's a very interesting passage. Frodo has saved Middle-earth, or at least the Shire, and he's borne his burden. That's your phrase. That's what he did. And Sam a little bit but Sam's not finished. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that goes dovetails very nicely in what I was going to say, which is you think about what the phrase is that we use now, and that's and we all have our cross to bear. Yes. Right? And it, you want to talk about applicability, this is it. We all carry the ring for some period of time. Whatever the ring is to you, and, and this is where Tolkien would say applicability, not allegory. Right. right? The right. ring is not one thing to every person. The ring is a different thing to everybody. And uh, so so we all have to take our turn and uh, try to, you know, get the ring to, to Mount Doom. We all have our turn at it. And in the end, uh, you know, to this Catholic mind, we're all going to be ushered into the Grey Havens and we're going to, you know, go to uh, meet our maker, so to speak. And, and we'll be able to say, this is what I did with my time with the ring. That really that that can change so much of the of the way you view the end of this, um, because I think oftentimes when we look at that use use that mentality, you know where we have the ring to bear. Uh, so many times we stop by throwing it in the fire, or we we get there. You know we like okay if I can just get the the ring I bear to Mount Doom and throw it in the fire, things will be good. But my complaint about there being so many endings or so much left to do <laughs> go still is very applicable here. Whereas after the ring is thrown in the fire, 
You've got to live your life. There's still more to go. Right. You know, there's still more there. And it may take someone biting your finger off to get you to put it in the... <laughs> <laughs> I yes. really hope not. I'm, I'm partial to my well, yeah. digits. There you go. Whatever metaphorical finger you have to bite off to get your <laughs> to get your ring in the fire. Yeah. I don't think we have any idea what we're talking about anymore. Nope. Nope. We, we've taken a point and severely beaten it into the ground beautifully. <laughs> um, anything else you guys want to talk about? Any other points you want to bring up? I would say thanks for uh, making me do a little homework and read Lord of the Rings again. It's been a, it was a nice few chapters. I'm I'm glad. I'm glad. And uh, I guess we're not just signing off this podcast. We're signing off the Lord of the Rings series. We'll do more casts on the Lord of the Rings, you know, maybe topically. But uh, but this this is the end of the book club uh, portion of it. And uh, I my hope with this, the reason that I wanted to start with this is. Uh, Partly because I want other people, as they listen to what we have to say, I want them to get involved. I want them to to be inspired to go back and read, you know, maybe just one section. Or, heck, go back and read the whole thing. Um, If you are someone who is a fan of the movies and you've never been able to make it past the Shire, you know, let us help you out. Read along and and listen to these podcasts and I hope that, uh, that we can help you do that. And if you're a veteran of it, I hope that we uh, had a few good things to say and made your blood boil when we got some fact wrong. Uh, email us. We're happy to take the abuse. <laughs> oh, at least I am. I don't know about Ryan. Well, it filters through your email account, so yeah, we're, we're good. <laughs> so I, you're happy I have for to it. say the, the part your wife is at right now, I'm fascinated that she's reading, and I I like wish I could hear more. Like That's a story I want to hear more about. Yeah. But uh, the part where they're in the, the Council of Elrond, for me, that's the great well, not for me. From talking to many people who have read the book, that's the barrier. If you can make it past that point, it's much easier sledding. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you're so you're going to get through. Yeah, so she's on the verge. She's going to do it. Oh, yeah. We, I, I remember spending. I spent some time with her. She's like, how are they still in the Shire? Yeah. How are they still in the Shire? <laughs> do you remember saying yes, that? Yes, I said those exact same things. And when we played back the podcasts and I said that, she's like, good, I'm not the only one. Yeah. No, you're not the only one. Yeah, so many people that I talk to, they... They get maybe through the Shire and they get to Bree or they get to the Council of Elrond mm. and they give up. They think this is too much. The story is there, there are too many names. There are too many places, whatever it is. Uh, but if you make it through, it's a very rewarding, rewarding experience. Yep. So, uh, Ryan, I appreciate you reading the Lord, the Lord of the Rings with me. It's now checked off my bucket list. There so. you go. And uh, Larry, thank you very much for coming on. We uh, appreciate you helping us sign off uh, in in. Yeah, glorious fashion. Thank you very much, and I look forward to uh, you reading the Game of Thrones series. There we go. I am, uh, which is, by the way, many, many, many times longer than Lord <laughs> of the Rings. <laughs> well, you know, I, I've joked with Ryan if we ever do the Robert Jordan Wheel of Time Boy. series, that's going to take us a year. You can to skip get like them. six books in the middle. Oh, and, ain't that the truth? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, Tolkien stuff. Um, yeah, thanks you guys both, and thanks everybody for listening. Uh, this is not the end of the Legendarium, po- the Legendarium podcast. We're going to go on. We're doing lots of other things. Uh, we've got some bullets in the chamber, and we're going to fire away. Uh, so, uh, Ryan, I'll see you on whatever project we do next. I will see you there.
Hey guys, thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe to The Legendarium on iTunes. Uh, check us out at thelegendarium.podbean.com and also write us at thelegendariumpodcast at gmail.com.